right, well, good morning. Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. Welcome to everyone here. Welcome to everybody watching uh, at businesses all over Nashville or live streaming us this morning or catching up uh, later in the week. Uh, welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. Excited about this morning as we talk about raising great kids. Uh, before I introduce Coach Corbin, I want to remind you guys that we'll take some questions here after Jeff does the interview. So if you have questions, you want to email them in, tweet them in, or chat them in from the live locations, feel free to do so. Dedicated, driven, and devoted are three words that could easily describe Tim Corbin. Tim graduated from Ohio Wesleyan in 1984. He worked as an assistant coach at Clemson University for nine years and was the head coach at Presbyterian College six years before taking over as head coach of the Commodores in 2003. In 2014, Corbin led his team to win Vanderbilt's first ever national championship, men's national championship. The team has made every NCAA tournament appearance under Corbin's leadership since then, except for year 2005. In addition to coaching the Commodores, Corbin has also had the privilege of coaching the 2006 U.S. national team. His success and leadership has not gone unnoticed as he's received multiple offers from teams such as the Yankees, the Red Sox, LSU, Auburn, University of Oregon as well. However, Corbin remains loyal to Vanderbilt and their future program. Over the years, Tim has dedicated his life to the game. He's been driven to do his best for those he leads, and he's devoted to his family. He has a heart and passion for raising good kids, both at home and on the field. Tim resides in Tennessee with his wife, Maggie, and he has two daughters, Molly and Hannah. Please join me in welcoming Coach Tim Corbin. Yeah. Wow. Coach, we're glad you're here. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about just your family and kind of coaching career up until this point. Well, I, as uh, Thomas was saying, I, I have a wife, Maggie. Mm -hmm. uh, we got married 18 years ago. Uh, I have two girls, Molly and Hannah, who are 30 and, and 27. So if you do the math, you think there's something wrong there. But uh, actually, I'm a, I'm a step-parent. Uh, when I was at Presbyterian College, I met my wife for the first time, but she relocated, and I lost track of her for about a... I guess it was about a year and a half when I got the job at Clemson. Actually, because of her and her knowing of Coach Leggett, uh, we reconnected again uh, after she got divorced. Uh, I think it was two years. And uh, we connected there, started dating a little bit. And the next thing you know, uh, I, was, I was part of a family, which actually probably provides a lot of my philosophy as a, as a coach because, you know, when you become a step-parent, you learn to love other people's kids. And essentially that's what you're doing when you teach and coach and mentor. You're mm. learning to love other people's kids. And I enjoy that notion. And now that the girls are gone, they'll be home this weekend to watch us play. Uh, my, my wife has probably enjoyed that role too. And mm. she becomes a step mom to the boys. So we really enjoy that because we get a turnover of boys every three or four years but they really do become your sons. And I think because of that, they, they, it's, it's really been reflective of how I think about kids and teaching kids and mentoring kids. Uh, the baseball's one thing, but there's so much more to this than this ball and bat that we pick up and, and play quite a bit. But uh, I've enjoyed that. Been at Vanderbilt for 14 years and mm -hmm. was at Clemson nine years prior to, I guess I've been coaching college baseball now for over 30 years. I've really enjoyed it. Wow. Tell us about that process from coming from Clemson to Vanderbilt. How did, how did you feel like 
kind of God was leading you here and that kind of step uh, to come? You know, I think, uh, as I tell a lot of young kids when they're, say kids, when they, they want to get into coaching, I explain to them that if you can just put your head down and do the best job that you possibly can in whatever you're doing, life will take care of itself. God will take care of your next step. And in my situation when I was at Clemson, I figured I'd be at Clemson the rest of my life. Now, I was an assistant coach, but titleization didn't mean much to me. It was more about my passion and enjoying what I was doing. And at the time, ironically, uh, my eighth, ninth year in, we got a call from Fresno State. So my wife and I went out there and uh, interviewed for that position, was offered the job. But California, Fresno, you might as well have put me in the Soviet Union. It, it, I'm from New Hampshire. So that when I crossed over that part of the country, I said, whoa, this is this <laughs> a little bit different. But it, it just was, a, it was not a fit. Mm-hmm. So we came home and uh, said, we're just staying at Clemson. And uh, within 24 hours, I got a call from Bobby Johnson, who was the football coach at Vanderbilt. And he and I coached at Clemson together his first year, actually. And he said, the job is open at Vanderbilt. They would like to talk to you if you're interested. And uh, Maggie and I took the trip. Todd Turner was the athletic director at that time. Wonderful guy. And uh, interviewed. And I think the thing that turned our heads was Nashville and the university itself. The university just instills the right type of values and standards that that we were all about. And I say we, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And it, it's been a, a tremendous uh, decision ever since. We, we really enjoy this part of the country. It's a lot like New Hampshire, particularly out in this neck of the woods. And uh, Nashville obviously has everything to offer. We're country people, my wife and I, so we, we grew up in the country, but we, we've certainly adapted well to Nashville. That's great. We'd, we're so glad you're here. You know? <laughs> Tell us, Coach, I mean, what's your greatest moment in sports? I mean, you've had some huge moments, and uh, what's been your greatest one? Uh, I think my, I thought, thought about that. The, the, my greatest moment in, in sports is, is probably a visual for me, and it was uh, the 1980 USA Winter Olympics when USA won the, the gold medal in hockey. And I say that because it just inspired my passion and inspired me to want to coach. Because at the time, I think we all know where we were when certain events happened in our life, whether it's 9-11 or mm-hmm. even going back when I was a little kid, you know, the assassination of JFK. But that particular situation, I know exactly where I was, and I was glued to the TV, and it was riveting to me because of a coach and a group of players who were on this level right here who weren't expected to do anything, and they played this big powerhouse in the Soviet Union that was even dominating our NHL teams at the, at the, at the time. And they went on and won the gold medal. And I, you say, well, isn't there personal situations that would mean more? You know, I, I think everything means a lot to me. I think the 2003 year when we were picked to finish last in the SEC and we went to the SEC tournament for the first time and in 12 years was uh, just as fulfilling as anything else. The trips to Omaha, 
they're all nice. Winning a national championship is great, but at the same time, when that happened, I really didn't even know how to react to it. Uh, people, you know, have gotten questions. How did that change life? It didn't change life. It didn't change perspective. It didn't change my thought processes on what I was doing because I've aligned myself to know that all I really want to do personally is really what I want the kids to do, and that's just grow, just get better every day personally. And in that, we just enjoy the experiences. But as I tell the kids, you know, whether it's celebration or devastation, you have to move from it, and life goes on. You can take the experiences and grow with them, but uh, you can't celebrate too long. You can't grieve that long, for that matter, because life does have a, its own path. So uh, I, I've just enjoyed every experience I've had, and I, I, I guess I would treat them equally as well. But that USA moment drove my inner passion to want to coach. Wow. I love that. This, that was amazing, you know, <laughs> and to see that and taking a, a group and just overachieving. I mean, right. it's unbelievable. And you've, you've been able to do that. How have you been able to inspire, you know, these, these kids, as you say, um, just to, to be their best, to do their best? What, how do you do that? We, uh, I think I've, through the years, I've changed my target and for the better. There was a time in the, it was 2007, 2008. 2007 was a, a great year for, for Vanderbilt. We, we were ranked number one in the country for, oh, I think, 13, 14 weeks. We were that team that was picked to go to Omaha and possibly win a national championship. And we lost in our own regional to Michigan. And it was, a, it was a tough baseball moment, athletic moment at the time, because David Price was on that team. He had not given up a home run all year. And the last pitch he threw to this Michigan hitter that inevitably won the game for them was a, a home run. And it was to a young man who actually we did not recruit, but he came to our summer camp. So what goes around comes around sometimes. But anyway, that was a, a powerful moment in a lot of ways because it led to some circumstances, 2008, 2009, 2010, where we were getting close, but we weren't finishing it off from a national perspective, getting to the College World Series. And, and I think that pressure was almost internally almost too much to bear. And it was, it was showing, it was showing in my own life and my wife finally got to a point where she said, you know what, Tim, every year we, we have a great year. You enjoy the kids, I enjoy the kids, we get close, and we don't finish it off because of one game. And she said, if one game at the end of the season is going to define how you feel about a group of people or what you do, then she says, you're going to die a sad man. Mm. And she was, she was right because... My, my thought process was more about the success of the kids and success of winning. And, and so internally, I really had to do something different. I, I take a, try to take a very strong approach to firing myself after every year, regardless of whether we win or lose. I just leave that out. But what can I do better individually to improve the experience for the kids? And what I needed to do is just change the target for them but selfishly probably for me. But I knew that if I could help me, I would help them. And the target was to 
use the classroom, which we have a very nice classroom situation that overlooks our baseball field. And I start every day up there. And, and I tell the kids that the classroom is our place of learning. And then when we go to the field, I want that to be your playground because it should be fun. And I want that to be your slides, your swings, whatever. And I, I truly want them to enjoy playing, not worry about making mistakes, not worrying about being stigmatized about be, making mistakes. And, but then up in the classroom to really learn. But the learning part is so much more than baseball. I use that as a place to grow male awareness skills, my way of thinking. Just improve human fundamentals. Because I think that if we can improve their human fundamentals and their awareness, then they become better people. They become better men. If they become better men, they naturally improve their worth as a teammate. If they improve their worth as a teammate, we become a better team. If we become a better team, then the experience is greater. So there's a lot of different individual things. I think you'd be surprised that I spend time talking to the kids about brushing their teeth. And you think, well, what value does that have? Well, brushing their teeth actually has a lot to do with their self-confidence. It has a lot to do with their energy. And I talk about their teeth, but I talk about more about the 5% of their body that is seen publicly to a lot of people. Their clothes, yes, that identifies them. But it's their first impression, their look. And their confidence to me is, is so important because their confidence is radiant. If they show their teeth, they are able to draw other people to them. If you've got a group of people that are smiling and showing their teeth, there's a lot of great energy. And with that becomes the chiding maybe sometimes of Maggie when she says, that's great, I love that notion that you would teach that to the kids, but why don't you smile? And uh, I said, well, I do. I'm smiling inside, but I don't always show it. She goes, yeah, you ought to, you ought to do what you teach. And I said, yeah, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't wear my happiness. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of integral small things that I think are important. Uh, we just took a trip to Washington, D.C. this weekend because I, it was a surprise trip. Now, we worked out at the Naval Academy, but the importance of the trip was to learn how to travel, to learn how to integrate socially with other people, and obviously patriotism. I'm, I'm so immersed mm-hmm. in patriotism because I think that gets lost in our teachings. And uh, we got to see so many great things. We got to experience so many things that I don't think they've ever seen before. Most of them have never gone to Washington, D.C. So I just try to involve a lot of teachings that have more to do with male growth because I think the greatest paycheck you can get as a teacher, as a coach, is to produce a good husband mm. and, and someone who's, who's solid in his own family. I don't get into leadership much. I don't talk about leadership much because I think leadership is this big mountaintop thing. I just talk about daily growth of men and how they can interact with one another. But it makes you proud to go to a wedding or to see our kids have their own kids and then just to see the, them modeling the behavior that you know is so healthy and so important to inspire other people. Man, I love that, Coach. Thank you. That is, I mean, you're raising men, you know, and, and you, you see that. It's not just baseball, right. but you're raising men. Thank you. 
What do you wish every parent or uh, knew about college sports or pro sports? What, what do you wish that every guy knew? Well, it, it, you know, our, our level is it, it's, it's quite competitive. I think when you're, you've got sons and daughters, and we had a daughter that played tennis at Vanderbilt, so we, I got to see that from a parent standpoint. From a coaching standpoint, when you have a, a daughter that played tennis over Vanderbilt, it's unique because when you're coaching, you spend 75% of your time with other people's children and really 25% with your own, and that's the truth. Uh, Hannah played tennis at Vanderbilt uh, for four years, I got to see her play twice. I got to see her practice more than I got to see her play. But I tell you that because the time on her end and the time on our end when you play intercollegiate athletics, specifically in the SEC, is very time involving. I, I break down the 24-hour day for the kids the first day I meet them, and I explain that there's three hours of fat. And fat, to me, is just an acronym for fool around time. But fool around time is that if you take sleep and eating and class time and then time that you spend on your craft, and their craft is very important to them. These kids come in here and they're high-level students, they're high-level athletes, but they all aspire to be professional athletes, and that's fine. And you want that because that drives their passion, but at the same time, we have to put that in perspective. But in saying that, it, it takes a lot of extra time to be a special athlete and to be a professional athlete. And, and what I try to do is channel our kids' thoughts and saying, if that doesn't happen, the world doesn't come to an end. There's, mm -hmm. there's other things that you've prepared yourself for so that if you get into minor league baseball and after a year you get released or you happen to play in the big leagues for two or three years, what do you do after? Uh, and then what happens when you don't get drafted? And, and that's why they, they come to Vanderbilt. But I would tell any parent that uh, it, it's, a, it's a supportive situation, particularly when you're in this. You have to stand next to them, not in front of them or her when they're, when they're trying to aspire to be uh, a, a college athlete. And you have to let them know that it takes a lot of individual extra time besides the time that you spend with your team in order to be good. We had a young man who's from Miami, and he's struggling right now as a freshman hitter, but he's, he's an outstanding player. We started yesterday at 2.30 as a team. He got down to the field and hit at 1 o'clock, and he got done hitting at 2 o'clock. He got a bite to eat in the locker room and then was ready to, to practice at 2.30. We got done at 6.30 last night, and he was in the batting cages until 9 o'clock last night again. So you think about his day from 1 to 9 o'clock was eight hours. It wasn't straight baseball, but his mindset was straight baseball. Mm -hmm. His mindset was, this is what it's going to take. I sent him a text last night, and I, I did tell him to press the reset button a little bit and just relax. It's going to work out. He's very invested, and he's got a strong passion to be good. But... A lot of these kids, they put in tremendous amounts of hours that we don't see beyond the time that we have them. So I would tell you that it's very time-consuming. So you have to have the passion to love it. Mm -hmm. How do you keep, uh, for us, how do you keep a proper perspective being a lot of dads here watching have younger kids, right, in the youth sports and just kind of growing up? Uh, you sit in the homes of a lot of 
parents. I mean, you probably had the number one recruiting class again this year, so way to go, coach. But uh, what, how do, what would you say to parents as they're raising kids to even get to the collegiate level? Or? Well, I think uh, I had a good model in Maggie because I thought she was, you know, she had already established a home prior to me involving myself. But I, I liked what she did with the girls. She, she really she didn't push them. She tried to help them find their passion, and I think that's important. As parents, we try to help to find our kids' passion, no matter what it is. Not our passion, mm. their passion. Now, we can give them a lot of things, and Maggie did. She, I remember she giving Molly dance and tennis and softball and basketball. And then Molly grew away from certain things. My wife was an all-American tennis player, so I think Maggie would have loved both girls to play tennis, but she didn't. Molly moved into dance as she got into her senior year and then started con continued to dance at the University of South Carolina. Hannah, it was softball, it was dance and tennis, and she started to move into tennis. But I think as parents, we try to help them find their passion, and then once they do, we, we try to support them. I tell parents in our camps that uh, be the passenger of the car. Don't try to drive the car if you're the passenger. And, and that's, that's kind of like your, your kids. Stand next to them, sit next to them, but support them more than drive for them. And, and I tell a lot of dads because I, I, I was telling Jeff before we got up here and started speaking, I, I've got some unbelievable stories on kids and how they'll share pressures that I never see and where they derive from. And typically they come from dads, not so much moms, but sometimes. And one time I had a, a young man, and this young man was uh, a tremendous high school player, and he ended up becoming a first rounder for us. But he, uh, I had a, a conversation with him, and I asked him about his childhood, and I said, what's your, your best memory from a childhood perspective on sports? And he said, actually, Corbs, it's, it's the time that I'd play a game, and my grandparents would pick me up after the game. And he goes, it was much better than riding, riding with my dad. And I said, you love your dad, right? And he says, oh, yeah, I love my dad. But he said, I'd much rather have my grandparents pick me up after a game than my dad. And I said, why is that? He said, because my grandparents would take me to some place where I wanted to go to eat, and they never asked me one question about baseball. He said, I knew if I got in the car with my dad, the first question would be, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? And he said, after a while, he goes, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be around it anymore. He goes, I love my dad. I just didn't want to be faced with that. And I think, you know, with parents, we care so much and love so much of our kids, but at the same time, our love sometimes gets us in the way of their progressions as people. And I tell dads for the most part, I said, you got three roles when you go to a game to watch your kid. You can be a father, you can be a coach, or you can be an official, an umpire, referee. Choose one. But don't try to be all three. Don't try to be two. If you're a, if you're a dad, be a dad. If you're a coach, be a coach. And if you're an umpire, God love us all if we're an umpire. <laughs> then be the best umpire that you can be. But I think it's so important when we're teaching our kids to be models of something, 
we're the model for them. Mm. They hear us, but they see us more. And they see everything that we're doing, just like me. Mm. And you have to model consistency. You have to give them the face that they need. You have to give them the face and the power that they need. Not so much the words that they need, but the face. And I tell a lot of parents, celebrate other people's children in competition because your kids see that. And if your kids see that, just think of what that does for them and their teammate abilities and takes the onus off of them to perform. And it's such a healthy thing for even our kids to integrate so naturally with other people so they don't get immersed in their own being and their own thoughts of you know, trying to put so much pressure on themselves. And, it, and it's such a, a healthy attitude. And even at our level, I tell our kids all the time, I said, the goal for, for, as a coach for me, for you, is to love your parents more but depend on them less. And I think that's such a powerful thing because when you can love your parents more and depend on them less, it doesn't mean you're distancing yourself from them, but it's the greatest compliment you can give a parent that they've raised a child to make decisions for themselves and live a life of normalcy in which they're driving the car and you're not driving it for them. And it's really gratifying, fulfilling to see a young man go through our program and, and act upon that. Wow. That's strong. That's strong. I love that. Even in competition, just congratulating the other team and how, setting that precedent. That's so good. Coach, how does your faith in God, how does your faith impact you as a coach? Do you see that on a daily basis? Or do you see that uh, as you interact? I do. I mean, I, I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, a strong Irish Catholic family. I think that was stimulated more from my dad's mom than anything else. Uh, catechism in church was a Sunday, Monday routine for our family and myself. Uh, I think my faith has, is pretty steady, but I would tell you that my goals are, are driven probably in my inner being to just better my direction in life because I know that if you're going to mentor kids, you're going to be followed by kids, then your inner strength and your, your spirit, it, it, it has to align. There has to be, a, a, I think, a tremendous amount of integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell the kids all the time, not perfect, going to make some mistakes. Uh, but when I make mistakes as a 54-year-old coach and teacher, I'm going to freely admit them because I want them to see a dad or an uncle or however they would perceive me as, as being real, not being some cartoon character that can get up and give these tremendous motivational speeches, but then live a life of complete difference mm. to what you're talking about. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's trying to just improve my direction all the time, whether it's with my faith or whether it's just my perceptions of how men, how I can help men be raised and and move them in in the right path. But I I think, as I I talked about parents, I think so much of this, Jeff, is about modeling and modeling Mm -hmm. the right kind of behavior and the behavior that you you want. I tell the kids all the time that they're walking, talking billboards for their parents. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way. I'm 54 years old. My parents are in town this weekend. 
they're 85 and 80, and they haven't slowed down a bit. And they're tremendous models for me. They just bought a condominium in Nashville. Imagine that, 85 and 80, and they just say, we're, we're going to continue moving on from New Hampshire to Nashville. I think it's unthinkable. But I think what they've done for me is they've shown me energy. They've shown me spirit. They've created a leadership model for me, and they've created a family model for mm -hmm. me. And through that family, I've tried to, uh, I've tried to have that for, for our situation here, for our, for our kids as well. Mm -hmm. That's great. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, whenever that time comes and you in coaching, what do you, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, that's a, a tough one. I, I think, I, I just think that my legacy is, is just the involvement in a, a lot of different families and a lot of different kids mm -hmm. and, and just leave a, a legacy of strength modeling, and I guess leadership, I don't like using that word all the time because sometimes it gets confused, but the, the, the paychecks that Maggie and I get actually are, are the wedding invitations <laughs> and the baby announcements. That, that really, that, that inspires us and, and makes us feel good. We're going to two-player weddings in the next two weekends. We go to Baltimore and then go to Kansas City. And I have to be frank with you, that, those are the those are the best things that we do. You know, we're, we're in the midst of coaching kids and teaching kids right now, but it, it goes beyond that. Our Vanderbilt family now, there's a lot of extensions to it. And the, the compliment that we get as a, as a program is we've got this alumni locker room and 30-plus former players now continuing to play come back and live in the Nashville area to train in Nashville. And I, I think that's a compliment. They haven't turned the page on their college career. So when you talk about legacy, it's just inspiring kids and being able to touch so many families uh, and enrich their lives and enrich their experiences so they can take the program that they were in and if they enjoyed it, try to recreate it in some other part of their life, maybe in their business, maybe in their own family, maybe if they coach. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, probably now in their own teams that they're playing. I love to see our kids act the way they did here, like a David Price with the Toronto Blue Jays, and just say, Corbs, you wouldn't believe this clubhouse. I love it. I enjoy doing this and this and this. And I do think it's a direct reflection of what he, he gained at Vanderbilt. And uh, that, that part is, is very fun. That's great. And well, you, I mean, you'll watch, I'm sure, David will pitch mm -hmm. probably in two days. Yeah. And uh, do you, how do you feel when you watch your players play in the majors? Do you, is it just a different kind of feeling watching them on TV or going to a game? Or? I, I enjoy it. I, I I go to some games, but if I go to games, I never ask them for tickets, and they, they get mad. I said, I'm never going to ask you for a thing, not one thing. I said, that's my, my, my job, so to speak, of my life, so it's to give back to you. It's not to give to me. So I, I don't want anything from them, but I enjoy watching them. I do. It doesn't change my, my perspective of them. 
because even when they're at the level, the, the only thing I tell them when they leave Vanderbilt is don't lose your innocence. Don't lose your childlike innocence. Keep that. Retain that. Don't let life and circumstances change who you are as a person. I think that's so important. Be true to yourself. And the humility part of that is, is so gratifying. And I think when I listen to them, I like watching them play, but I like listening to them in interviews because I, I want to see how they communicate and how they talk about other people. I think that's so important to naturally talk about your teammates and talk about the team rather than point the direction at, at yourself. And uh, that, that part drives me too. But I enjoy, I enjoy watching, especially this part of the year when it, it means more mm -hmm. to them. And David pitching tomorrow night, yeah, they'll, they'll be a little bit nerves with me I, because I just want to see him do well. Yeah. You know, I just want to see him pitch well and perform for his team and hopefully have an opportunity to, to go to the World Series. Great. Yeah, it would be good. <laughs> be really good. Well, Coach, you know, I feel the same way in so many ways. I mean, a lot of the men here are just spiritual leaders. They're men who just lead in their families, lead in their mm -hmm. businesses. And if you were to give us two takeaways today, what would two takeaways, as, as, as God's called us to be leaders where we are, spiritual leaders, uh, what would you say to us? What would two things that you would just say, hey, you know, this is what I want to encourage you about today? Well, I, I think the, the thing is I encourage our kids is I, I tell them the most important time in their life is right now, this minute, what you're doing now, where you're seated, what you're listening to, what you're doing. I try to stay away from goals with the kids because I think it's healthy. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't. And it's not a wordsmith thing. I'm not trying to change the, the wording or verbiage. But I, I think with, with our guys and even myself, it's more pointed towards growth, just daily growth. It, it really is. If we can just be grow and get better and fertilize ourselves with the Bible, fertilize ourselves educationally, further ourselves with what we put into our body, further ourselves in our growth with our teammates, then eventually we'll move in the direction that life will, will take us. And rather than try to manufacture the things we do in life or manipulate them, just enjoy them and, and grow with them. And, and if we can do that, we're all going to be better versions of ourselves tomorrow than we were yesterday. But it also points to there's, there's no pause button in life. And this life thing moves entirely way too fast. And I think the only way you can really slow it down is by immersing yourself in, in what you're doing with your kids and really enjoy the relationships that you have with one another, whether it's this church or whether this business or whether your own family. And that involves communication. Mm. And communication is more than a keyboard. And not that I want to micromanage or homogenize all our kids, but tell them when they go into that locker room, much like your own home, is to put the phone away. Put the phone away, put it in your locker, close that door, and leave it be. And I don't have any rules. I don't tell them, you can't get on your phone. I mean, they're men. They're older men. But at the same time, I just want them to understand the strength of a relationship and how it applies more towards human contact, whether it's touching or whether it's 
looking at someone and sharing a message with them, or whether it's listening. And I just think that that interaction there is more powerful than, than anything that we do. Uh, handwritten notes are better than text. Uh, our guys now are writing handwritten notes and taking pictures of them and sending them. Well, that's nice. That's, that's far better than a keyboard. <laughs> but it does. It, it does have some power to it. it it's, it's better than getting a keyboard message. And I just explained to them that the thank yous that you can receive with someone's mouth and someone's eyes are more powerful than the thank you they get in a text message any day of the week. So growth and communication, I think, are the two things that I, I try to just try to implore upon our kids every day. That's great. That's great, Coach. Hey, we've got time for a couple of questions. Sure. So, Thomas, do you have any questions? Yeah, we've got a couple that came in. Um, it's an interesting one here. We've, we've had this a couple times this fall. Uh, you're on the front lines of raising the next generation of godly men. What are the biggest challenges and pitfalls facing the class of 2016? That's a tough one. Um, I, I think that the challenges, well, the, the challenges I see with us as men, or our fathers, so to speak, is to stay current with, with the kids that, that we hmm. coach and teach. And I say stay current because sometimes we lose our teacher leverage, so to speak, because we become removed from what our kids are doing, not so much doing, but how they're learning and how they're listening and how they're communicating. And if we say, well, that's not my generation, so I'm just going to move away from it, the thing personally that I've tried to do with them is grow with them and not away from them. And I think when you grow with them, you have the ability to adapt with them and communicate with them and therefore teach with them. And I, I think that's, that's more difficult the older we get. And the more the margin of kids and us grow apart, the more our methods grow apart too. And I, I think our ability to kind of understand what they're listening to, the music that they're listening to, how they're communicating, how they're going about their everyday business is so important in us attaching with them and to be able to communicate with them. And uh, I, I just don't want to ever grow away from our kids. And that's the challenge for me because our kids are coming in at the same, same mm -hmm. time at 18 and 19. But I'm getting 50, 51, <laughs> 52, 53, 54. So as you can see, that margin is, is moving away from me. So it means I have to invest more energy to get down to them in order to learn how to communicate with them and to try to inspire them and move them in the direction that we think is That's a challenge. It's hmm. a good one. You got time for another? Yeah, we do. Um, Coach Corbin, it sounds like you and your wife are both strong leaders. How do you strike the balance in leadership at your home? <laughs> what does that look like? Well, at home. Don't spend much time at home. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is, this is going to sound bad, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, th this is the routine we, we, and for Maggie and I. She doesn't work 
and that's been on purpose because she's, she's got her MBA in business and has wanted to work. And I said, Don't, we're, we're both not working. We have a lifestyle, and the lifestyle is the kids. And I deem you just as important to this cause as I do Travis and Scott and Blake, our assistants. I said, you're every bit a part of this situation, and she is. And because of that, Maggie's at the field in the afternoon to watch every workout, and then she's at every game. She went to Washington, D.C. with us. She goes recruiting with me. If there's home visits, she comes with me. And I just want her with me because I just feel like, to me, it's, it's a healthy way of knowing that, okay, if we're going to send our son to Vanderbilt, then, yes, they're playing baseball, but they're also getting another mom and dad that can be an extension of, of us. But I think our, our life is a little bit unique. We go out to dinner every night, and it's not because Maggie's a bad cook. She's not. She could do it. She has. But I enjoy that interaction with her because it gives us an opportunity to break down the day. And that's kind of our home routine, so to speak. We go out to dinner every night. We talk. We enjoy one another. And then we go home, go to bed, and do it again the next day. <laughs> so it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> but we enjoy it. I mean, I it's just, it. yeah, there's... It, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. It is. It's not a J-O-B. It isn't. I, I don't look at the, the finances. I don't look at the money of it. We, we get reimbursed well, so we're appreciative of that, but that's not the driving force. The driving force is the fact that we have this life and we want to enjoy every second of it while we're still healthy and we can. That's great, Coach. Well, we love it, and we're so thankful for you and the Thank difference you. you're making in so many young men. We're excited that your parents are moving here, which means you're not going to go to the Yankees. It means you're yeah. going to stay here. So <laughs> that's a great sign. This and, is the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, you have done a tremendous job. And, uh, and, and, and not a job in the sense of uh, just winning national championships and, and getting to Omaha every year, which is so fun to watch. And uh, I remember screaming at the TV you know, two yeah. years ago when that home run went out. And I Thank was like, you. yeah, it was so exciting. And, uh, but we just appreciate you Thanks, and your sir. heart. We want you to know that you've got a bunch of guys here who are praying for you, and we're cheering you on and believing in what God's doing through you. And uh, just thank you for taking the time today to be Thanks, with us. Chef. So, appreciate it. Let me pray for us this morning, and then, Thomas, you've got a couple of closing things. Father, thanks for today. And God, thanks for challenging us through Coach and just teaching us um, what it means to be uh, leaders in our own areas, Father, in our homes, and Father, with our own kids, and uh, Father, in our workplace. And God, I pray for Tim, I pray for Maggie, and just pray a blessing on them and their influence on so many young men, God. And just thank you that he is pouring in to these men what it means to be men and not just good baseball players. And so I pray, God, that you continue to give him wisdom and strength. And uh, just thank you that you have put him in his sweet spot and that he's doing the things that he just loves to do. And Father, bless him for that. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would be in our sweet spot. I pray for all of us, God, that we would enjoy every day, and just like coaches challenge us, that we would grow each day, Father, and we would cherish this moment, because we don't get it back. And so, Lord, help us to pour our hearts and our lives into what you've called us to, Father, and to be the men that you've called us to be. We love you, Father, and thank you for your son, Jesus, in whom, Father, we pray today, in the name of Christ, amen, amen. Okay, well, great. The, uh, the resource for today, this is interesting. This is uh, Reggie Joyner and Carrie Newoff. Uh, parenting beyond your capacity. So 
just like Coach Corbin talked about the idea that we're not solo parents, we're not doing this on our own, how do we connect to our community? How do we think about our church as a resource, our community as a resource, our coaches as resources to better equip our kids? How are we doing this together as a community? So interesting read, kind of uh, taken off of where Coach, uh, Coach Corbin left off there. So um, we'll do a drawing for this book when we wrap up. I want to remind everybody as well that this has been – this is the final week for Men's Leadership Network of the fall. We've had a great seven weeks. Thanks to Coach Corbin for wrapping us up here. Uh, we will get you guys some information over the winter. Uh, there might be some breakout opportunities, et cetera. If you missed anything and want to have access to that, you can access all the podcasts, all the, uh, the Men's Leadership meetings online at mensleadershipnetwork.com. I'm also excited to announce that next spring we're going to do this again. We're going to roll out another six or seven weeks. We've already started working on the lineup for next, week, uh, next spring, so that's going to be exciting as well. So keep an eye open for some of that information. And, again, we'll kind of reach out in November, December with some opportunities over the winter months. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for everybody that's participated. Thanks for all the hosts at all the businesses across Nashville and Williamson County. Uh, it's been a fantastic fall. So let's give Coach Corbin a special round of applause here. And we look forward to seeing everybody next spring. Thank you.